Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called The Pit Call to Rule Them All. That suggestion on Twitter from Colin Manning. Runners up are Bring Back Paul Ricard, I Need Sleep, and that's from Nuno Cardoso. And also we have another runner-up from Bill Bradley, Missing Pierre Gasly, Reward If Found. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. And there was one more suggestion, Matt. Indeed there was. Okay, it's from Hedgehog, A-I-C-N, who says, Show title, how about Lewis Hamilton wins exciting race by overtaking Max Verstappen near the end due to clever pit-stop strategy and tyre strategy, whilst Gasly and Bottas do themselves no favours and Russell does quite well in his Williams. I mean, it's not the snappiest title suggestion we've ever had, but it's quite good. I like it. It's accurate and gets the job done. What another fantastic weekend in Formula One's history. If a dry Hungarian Grand Prix mat is a thriller, then I'm guessing we're in pretty good shape. Yeah, it's as is typical. Sometimes things look worse in the immediate than they are in real life. Now, before the Grand Prix, I did a bit of uh, expectation management because my son has really enjoyed the last three Grand Prix. He's been sat next to me. He's been watching the timings. And I've kind of said to him, okay, look, this is a different kind of circuit. It's a little bit like Monaco. It's a little bit more of a procession. There's not always overtaking, but it's going to be a great one for looking at strategy and really learning about following the timing app. And even though it was exciting, it was a a classic, more kind of traditional classic F1 race. Yeah, it, it was. And it really, I mean, I felt, don't get me wrong, not that Germany wasn't exciting. But to me, this was in some ways a better race, a much better race than what we saw in Germany. Absolutely. And I think the question I'd ask you, Matt, is if this was an average F1 race, if this was the average entertainment you could expect, would we be happy? I think there'd be something wrong with you if you weren't. 
Absolutely. And speaking of having something wrong with you, we're also joined by commentator Jake Sanson. How's it going, Jake? It's going very well. It's great to be back on Missed Apex again. Thank you for the invite. Now, I don't know how much you're allowed to say, but for the British Grand Prix, for those of you who watched Formula 2 and Formula 3, you were the official FIA commentator. And if you're not allowed to say anything, Jake, can I just say that not only were you on, but you actually did an incredible job. That's very kind of you. Thank you very much. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed. With the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. On with our race review. Now then, Matt, I don't know if uh, you listened to it, but we did experiment with doing a qualifying review because I realised that with these exciting races, we've we've really skipped past practice and qualifying because we just haven't had the time. Yeah, and that's always, I mean, I feel like those aspects of the show always get a little bit of short shrift just because of the time constraints of our show recording. And it was nice to be able to unwind a little bit and and sort of dig into a few just observations, really, not not a lap-by-lap lap recounting. Yeah, so pretty much I just got in the shed, I hit record, I asked my panel to give me voice notes, and I talked through those voice notes about qualifying. Also, Chris Stevens happened to join me. So I, I don't know where we're at. What we did was we put that qualifying review on our patron-only feed, and we're going to get feedback from them, and then we'll decide whether we dump it and it's not worth it, whether it becomes a patron-only thing, or whether we spam it on our our main feed but we would love your feedback on that let's start from nearly the back of the grid jake i said i think the last time you were on actually i said i was done talking about williams until they started beating people on merit and in qualifying yes a few people tripped over but they were so close to Haas. i think the threshold has been passed where williams are kind of back in the game Oh, absolutely. The upgrades from uh, Germany seem to have worked. We finally got to see them in action properly in a dry running. Uh, George is still the only one who can really make use of them at the moment because, unfortunately, Robert just isn't at the same level. But George is starting to prove you know, what we've been hoping is true about him for quite a while now. I think he's just chilling and enjoying life at Williams because he knows that in 2022, when Hamilton retires, he's got the Mercedes drive. So I assume you mean that Russell is the only one who can use them properly as evidenced by his savage dominance in the World Drivers' Championship? Oh, very, very funny. Uh, to be fair, he should have got the point over Kubica in Germany. It was only, you know, beginner's error in uh, Germany. That was his first ever wet Formula One race. So fair play to him for even finishing, uh, which uh, yeah. I think quite a few people didn't. Leclerc? No, they Bottas, didn't. Uh, no, look, we're not, not going to take away take away the joy of the Polish fans over Robert Kubica's point in the World Championship. Absolutely not going to do that. But in Germany, there was a lot of anomalies because it was a race that gave itself over to anomalies. So Toro Rosso aren't the third best team on the grid now. Hamilton is not terrible with race pace. And and George Russell is not suddenly worse than Robert Kubica. However, that doesn't mean you can't celebrate uh, those results. Uh, Matt, if we go up to the top of the grid a little bit, uh, Hamilton misses out on pole. However, I just don't panic anymore if Lewis Hamilton doesn't get pole, simply because the Hamilton-Mercedes race pace is so much better than the Bottas 
Mercedes race pace that you kind of, wherever he finishes, you still think he's got a chance. It's almost better for Formula One if he doesn't land a pole. Yeah, well, I remember this um, being the case a couple of years ago when Rosberg was still in the team that at a certain point he stopped worrying so much about getting pole because he was faster in the race and only when things changed and um, track position was the ultimate arbiter of who would win did he get serious again about beating Rosberg to pole every time. Now, what was interesting to me about uh, the qualifying that I didn't talk about in my little voice note was that Hamilton, uh, finishing third, had made the comment after qualifying that the car had gone away from them in FP3. And of note, it had gotten cooler rather than hotter during the afternoon because the clouds had come in and uh, covered the racetrack so that it didn't have direct sunlight. And that had caused the car to get slightly imbalanced. And so I want to point that out because... Unlike yesterday, today, the track was blazing hot. Much It was 45, 46, 48 C when they started the race, which I think was a bit of a surprise to the teams and may have had something to do with the excellent pace Mercedes had today. Oh, what, the excellent pace caused the hot weather? Is that what you're saying? Oh, no, no, the other way around. That makes much more sense thinking about it. So are you saying that Mercedes set up for hot weather and then they were caught out a little bit in qualifying by it being a bit cooler? Uh, Now, a lot of people are pointing to the DRS failure. Uh, Hello to Othnell in the chat room. And in fact, hello to the whole chat room. Thank you very much for dropping by. You can watch us live and make comments as we record uh, by going to YouTube and searching for Missed Apex Podcast. Othnell says, Lewis's DRS failed on the run to the line in qualifying. Yeah, it did, but that run is fairly short. Most of that straight is from the finish line forward, and Mercedes calculated he lost some hundreds from it, but it was not enough to be positional for either Botas or for Verstappen. Okay, so when it comes to to looking at qualifying, I'll, I'll repeat something I said in our in our little qualifying review. Uh, see what you see what you make of this, Jake. I will say now that in in one lap trim, Hamilton is with maybe one or two notable exceptions, always going to have more potential to get the fastest qualifying lap than Bottas. I don't think Hamilton's approach to qualifying is optimal. I think he super, super goes for it, and he might get more poles if he went at 95%. But I'm going to say, any time now that we see Bottas as the lead Mercedes, we can then also surmise that we haven't seen the full pace of the Mercedes over that weekend. That's an interesting uh, opinion. I, I think there's, I think there's actually a lot of validity to it, because one of the interesting things from this weekend is that Bottas seems to have a bit of the trait of Jarno Trulli these days. He's very, very good over one lap in qualifying, but he seems to be fading in race trim. So, in fact, he actually created his own little Trulli train in the early stages of the race, which is an interesting one. I mean, okay, part of that is down to a slightly broken front wing, but the comparison is actually very, very real now. Well, normally with trains, Matt, the carriages stay behind the, the, the front thing. Yeah, true. Um, It is true. In race pace, he cannot compete. Gasly has a similar problem. And I think you could say the same for Giovinazzi as well compared to Raikkonen. What you're looking at and what you're seeing, in my opinion, is the ability of the drivers to properly manage the tire. And today, uh, Leclerc as well said, we can't, we couldn't manage the tire. I had to pit. Vettel could go long. 
the difference is a lot of times a driver's ability to manage these Pirelli tires because the sport has set it up so that the tires are the determining factor in the races. Tires, you say? Interesting. Well, let's see if that has a factor in how the race was won or lost. And this is the part of the race review where I turn to our strategy and tyre expert, Matt Trumpets, to talk about how the race was won and lost. Well, the race was very much both won and lost for several drivers at the start. Now, we've already talked about the temperatures and how that may have played a part for Mercedes. But equally important and was the loss of position and the damage that Bottas sustained because he wound up pitting early and putting on the hard tires, which gave Mercedes an information advantage over Red Bull because he had run them to almost 40 laps when he pitted for the second time. Uh, but also, our friend Pierre Gasly had not the greatest of starts. Unlike Max, he picked up some wheel spin. And before you know it, not only were both McLarens by him, but Kimi was by him as well. And there he was in ninth position, and he never was able to get close to the leader's after the first lap had transpired. And that left Max without a wingman when he needed him most. Absolutely. And so obviously also Hamilton was without a wingman. And I think this weekend has demonstrated, much in line with the whole season really, how much of a difference a driver can make, Jake. Obviously it's not a spec series, but people are always saying, well, it doesn't matter. It's whoever's got the best car. Gasly, Bottas, and Stroll and Kubica are really proving that wrong, aren't they? As is Giovinazzi, you know, oh, yes. the staggering pace between two different teammates that really belies the skill of a driver. And interestingly, I actually saw from Haas today something I never thought I'd see. Grosjean's had really solid pace over Magnussen for a change, which is unusual, uh, especially when I'm still touting Grosjean needs to leave and Haas need to be sensible and pick up Perez for next year so they can get some Mexican dollars in the team. Um, but yeah, it is staggering now, the distance between the two Mercedes drivers, the two Alpha drivers. Giovinazzi, I don't think, will be there next year. Kubica won't be there next year, as far as I'm concerned. And there's a very strong possibility that Gasly will be thrown out of the Red Bull team. Whether they make way for another Red Bull driver or bring in someone like Hulkenberg or whatever, yeah, it's looking... His days are numbered. So so Matt's chomping at the bit. The second we, we mentioned has, because of the, the differences between those two cars, uh, we'll definitely roll around to Formula B, as we like to call it, because there's a new addition to Formula B. I've added someone to the Formula B championship. Who could it be? Uh, but Jake, let's go to uh, that opening volley. We, we touched on, on Bottas, but this is a real example of the difference Hamilton can make wheel to wheel off the line. I do get accused of being a uh, uh, ham fossey of being Hamilton bias, which is just shocking. Unbelievable, really. But how fantastic was he in those first few corners? Yeah, totally. It was really interesting to observe the difference in attitude between Hamilton and Bottas in those first two or three corners. Bottas is reliable, dependable, brings home good points. And he made massive errors trying to deal with Hamilton in the first two corners. He locked up on both occasions. So in actuality, it's like Valtteri is hitting the panic button every time he goes wheel to wheel with somebody, which is a trait that we are now familiar with in Sebastian Vettel. So interestingly, Bottas, who's being touted as a potential replacement for Vettel, if he were to walk at Ferrari, today we kind of saw, well, actually, 
would Ferrari actually get a good deal if they went for Bottas instead of Vettel? I don't think they would. Walk. Sorry, I think I think you uh, mispronounced pushed, but but we can we can certainly argue about that later. Yeah, I think it is going to be an interesting argument, and uh, I can't wait to get onto it. Uh, uh, Matt, in in that battle between the Mercedes drivers, it did remind me kind of of. Uh, Austria, I think 2015 or 2016, we were having the big argument, don't worry, we're not going to have it again, as to who was right or wrong, Hamilton on the outside, Rosberg ushering him all the way, uh, all the way to the outside. And then very similar in that Barcelona incident as well, where Rosberg ushered Lewis Hamilton onto the grass. And while we were debating fiercely whose fault it was, you kind of weighed in and went, well, no, what you're missing is their teammates. And the rules are different with teammates. This is the, biggest escalation we've seen in the ferocity between Hamilton and Bottas in wheel-to-wheel action. This was very determined. It was hard and fair, you could argue, but but more hard than fair than it's been in the past. Yeah, I mean, and and kudos to Hamilton for uh, catching the lockup and, and going wide enough to not get T-boned by his teammate. It would have been very easy for him to have already turned in there. But he's he's clever and experienced and, and was, was being and perhaps knows his teammate better than <laughs> most of us do. OK, so firstly, I think Bottas spent more time locked up than not locked up. He locked up into turn one. He then locked up again up into the left handed turn two. And then he locked up again, I think, wheel to wheel with uh, uh, Ricciardo. I think, but basically he was, he was clearly having trouble on the brakes. So when he locked up into that turn, I'd love to see the telemetry of Hamilton's car. I haven't looked into it. I think he opened the steering up and came off the throttle because he then seemed to settle the car quickly. The pace then on, in the acceleration zone that he got past Bottas was alarming. So there was one point on the exit where they kind of looked like they were going around at the same rate. And then Hamilton just rocketed off past Leclerc. So it was through that gap almost between Leclerc and, and Bartas. And he was gone and he had a great run into turn two. Yeah, he was able to maintain a lot more momentum around the outside of the turn, even though he initially had to slow to avoid Bartas. And that almost caused Leclerc to tag him from behind. But as they got back onto that straight, the speed that he was able to save through the turn allowed him to just I mean, just fly past going yeah. into turn three. And uh, I, mean, th- I mean, we can skip forward a, t- a tiny little bit here because Hamilton was in such aggressive move, a mood uh, for his moves in overtaking. So he's, he's round the outside. And fair enough, I suppose Bottas could have shown him the, the full width of the track there and he didn't. Uh, but then there was contact between the two. Did, did, you, did you see that as, as being anyone's fault? I know we don't like no blame situations, but there wasn't any real kind of, you know, he didn't spin off from that or anything, but it did look like Bottas just kind of turned in kind of aggressively. I I mean, it was incidental. It's hard to know exactly where the front of the car is. And I think, you know, he was also busy watching out for cars coming from behind him at that point, I would presume, because the move was done. I don't think he was like seriously trying to contest that move at that point. I think he was just, uh, his attention was elsewhere and he miscalculated a little bit. I think it was interesting to see the dynamic between the two of them in a wheel-to-wheel situation because you've got Hamilton who will go for it and he's flat out and he will just go for the move. He's not really bothered. He's not under pressure at Mercedes. If anything, they want to keep him. They're never going to lose him, are they? So 
Bottas is obviously under pressure for his seat. There's been talk about him losing it. And I think he was being a little overcautious. And in doing so, he allowed Hamilton to rub him on the way through, Leclerc to rub him on the way through, and then that roughed up his nose cone. And they said to him, well, on the hard tyres, you can probably make it back to about sixth. He didn't deliver. He came back in ninth place. I think it's the sign of the times. It might be Bottas's last year with the team. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll do some reading of the tea leaves at Mercedes in a little while, Jake. Uh, to that Bottas Leclerc incident, I think that was pretty rude of Leclerc, to be honest. Uh, I don't. I think at the end of the day, on the first lap, you've got to try and make whatever moves you possibly can to get up the order. We know that Charles Leclerc is a particularly feisty driver. That might have been the one opportunity he was ever going to have to overtake a Mercedes in a straight fight. He went for it. I wouldn't say there was anything rude about that at all. Verstappen has got away with a lot worse, as so has Hamilton, as has uh, Bottas over the course of the last few races. So I think that was just, you know, fair game. Uh, but Matt, there was contact. That's the difference. Yeah, there was not just contact. There was damage. And I, I have to pin it on Leclerc. He was the overtaking driver. And as he was coming to take the racing lane back, he just absolutely trimmed Bottas' front wing off. I mean, there's there's no other way to describe it. it it's not like it's not like Botas was suddenly not there. It's not like Leclerc hadn't just passed him and knew that. He just simply moved over and expected Botas to get immediately out of the way, which is a violation of the lane system, if nothing else. I don't know how much of that was Leclerc being feisty and Botas being hesitant. I think it might have been six of one, half a dozen of the other. So Hamilton getting past Botas was key, and I think we kind of we kind of had had surmised between between us panel that after qualifying we we felt that the mercedes was still the faster car and then assuming there's going to be no changes of position at the beginning which there nearly wasn't you were going to have the mercedes lining up behind the red bulls and that would have been a very situate a different situation to what we had had it been verstappen bottas and hamilton yeah although i will throw in the caveat under those conditions just because if it had been cool enough it might have been different I think. Okay, so Hamilton vitally makes the pass and we're watching the timing screens. And straight away, when you're looking at this kind of situation on a tight track where it's hard to overtake, you're looking at the gap. And I, I said to the boy, I said, you, you watch this gap, it's going to sit at about two, two and a half seconds. If it does, and it's consistent, that tells you that either A, Verstappen is managing the pace, or B, Hamilton is managing the pace. That's the. It's kind of a suspicious distance, isn't it? Where you're out of the airflow, you're not overheating your tyres and your brakes. Uh, so that tells you that they're not necessarily flat out at that stage of the race. So we're into a kind of a management tactical zone waiting for someone to make a decision. Yeah, and we see this a lot, especially in races like this. And you do see management like this in races where overtaking is difficult and the tracks aren't necessarily conducive to it. So what they do is they sit on their fuel, they sit on their tires, and as the pit stop window approaches, they'll begin to go faster. And occasionally you'll see a driver start to edge up for an undercut, and that's when it starts to get really interesting. Yeah, there was an interesting call uh, between Hamilton and his team where Hamilton was kind of like, is it okay for me to start closing the gap now? And and this Jake kind of sent me back to the Silverstone Grand Prix where Hamilton was all over the back of Bottas for the first 16 laps, making Bottas use his tyres. And that's the feeling I got. Hamilton wanted to get on his gearbox and make Verstappen use his tyres. 
Absolutely. I think it was a really interesting dynamic. In fact, over the last few races, I've been fascinated listening to Hamilton on team radio anyway. A lot of people call it whinging. I bet if you listen back to the team radio of Senna, Prost, Mansell, all these people, it would be identical in terms of conversation, in terms of output and input. There is no difference in how a champion prepares and discusses with the team. What's been fascinating, though, is that Hamilton seems to have absolutely no issue in overruling his team's decisions. And we almost got that today. I think they were in sync this time. Jake, I think that both Lewis Hamilton and uh, Bono, his race engineer, I think they kind of have a little code talking to each other. So I think they can afford to be a bit more negative and there'll be certain like giveaway tones and phrases that might, you know, hint that they're being either misleading or sarcastic. We, I don't think we can trust everything we hear from them. Absolutely. And it's not just them. It's uh, every race engineer with every driver. What we hear, we can only take the context based on what we know of the sport. But a lot of what's being said between driver and engineer is actually very heavily coded. I mean, there are bad examples of it. Uh, you know, you've obviously got... Uh, the Massa example, him and Rob Smedley, that was a very bad handling of code uh, back in the early 2010s. But we are seeing that a lot now. We only really hear half the story. Uh, when you look at things like the pit lane channel, for those who are in Europe, you actually hear a lot more team radio than the race itself on Sky. So mm. there's actually a lot more going on than some people are actually privy to. So it is fascinating to see how the dynamic changes. But yeah, Bono and Hamilton, mm. I don't think we know the whole story. Yeah. And the reason this was such a tactical race, obviously they call it Monaco without the walls. I think that's a, a little harsh on the Hungaro ring. The Hungaro ring is a proper track in that if we were to just blow it up by to 1.3, if we timesed the Hungaro ring by 1.3, I think it would be an absolutely epic circuit. And it still is. It's a great track, especially if you sit and do it in the sim. It's really enjoyable. It's It's flowing, Jake. I don't, I, it, it's perhaps not suited for modern Formula One, but the track as it is, is is good. I completely disagree. I, I think it oh. really does suit Formula One. Okay, uh, I, I think it's fantastic. It's one of the few circuits in uh, Formula One I've actually been to, and I walked it when I did Ferrari Challenge there four years ago. It's a lot tougher in terms of its inclines and its cambers and you know all of the uh, momentum that you build and you lose through certain corners than television ever gives you credit for. It is so hard to walk uh, compared to some of the other circuits right. on yeah, the yeah. calendar. So it's a real technical minefield. And, and you want to be careful, Matt, if, if Jake is going downhill, builds an awful lot of momentum. Stay clear. Yeah, he does. He does. Absolutely. I, I just wanted to chuck in and say that I feel like Formula One needs a very diverse set of tracks to find the proper champion uh, for the constructors. If we made Hungaro ring longer, Ferrari would have been probably closer in today's race, it wouldn't have pointed out the weaknesses in their design approach in the same way. So I like having some circuits that are fast and some that are slow and some that are tight and technical and so on, because it's important to the overall season, even if it okay. occasionally yields less than exciting results. All right, Matt, you're not thinking tactically as a podcast producer. You know my policy, all right? We, we talk about how good Mercedes and Hamilton are for half an hour until all the Ferrari fans get fed up and go. And then it's the second half where we talk about how Ferrari have dropped the ball and how their overall philosophy of low downforce versus high power has been absolutely disastrous. Hold your horses, for goodness sake, Matt. But the similar 
similarities between this track and Monaco, tactically, not as big a version, is that position is key. So even though we had a faster car behind, and let's be under no illusion, the 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 Mercedes package was was better this weekend than Red Bull, Matt. But I, with Max in the in the box seat, he was able to dictate the strategy. He was able to put up a real good fight because of the track. If this was Bahrain, Hamilton and Mercedes are gone, aren't they? But and and, and you agree, Mercedes did have the better package overall for the race. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on the hot track, it was completely, they had pace and tire management over everybody else on the grid. Hard to argue with that. Can I be controversial and say that Ferrari barely had a package at all? No, and in fact, one of the show titles that I didn't allow to get in, I think all the Ferrari guys have gone now, uh, was uh, the show title suggestion from Sam Watley, who said that Ferrari have just ordered a bigger screen for their Delta monitoring system uh, because they, they were that far behind. It was shocking. I mean, I looked at it uh, as they came through on the final lap and you never really tend to wait a minute in modern <laughs> Formula One for third position to come across the line. I mean... It's baffling. I mean, yes, Vettel got a podium and Leclerc didn't. That's not the headline, though. The headline is they may as well have turned up in last year's car and they probably would have done better. Matt, look, we need to at least get past the ad break before we before we start uh, slating Ferrari too hard. Let, let's stick with this uh, Verstappen uh, battle. So we're in a situation where, because it's hard to overtake, uh, Verstappen had the option to not pit. He had the option to stay out a little longer. He could have taken a few more risks, even if he had more tyre wear than Hamilton. He could have ground it out. He could have tried to disrupt the airflow behind Hamilton. And he had that option of going, well, I can defend for a few corners. And and if it's really looking like I can't hold it off, then I can dive into the pit. So that added a, a tactical wrinkle that we might not have had in Bahrain. Yes. Well, as I recall it, what happened was round about the 23rd lap or so, Hamilton closed up within about a second and a half, under two seconds, which is proper undercut distance. And this really forced Red Bull's hands. Uh, Max seemed to have no more pace. He wasn't happy on the car, uh, on, the, on the tires. And at lap 25, which is in the pit window, the early part of the pit window, Pirelli predicted for the medium tire. And he came and there was this moment when he emerged where you thought, oh, Hamilton might have got him had he undercut him. But he had, but Hamilton was like, my tires are in great shape. Let's stay out. And that's where things got interesting. Okay, so we're all parents here, right? And uh, we've all got snarky kids, at least over the age of nine. Yeah. So my boys sat and watched the last four races now uh, with me. And he's starting now. He's getting a bit cocky now. Thinks he's an expert. You know how when you watch the Winter Olympics you're suddenly an expert in like skeet shooting or the high dive. And after two days, you're like criticizing the best divers in the world going, whoa, why is he going for a complicated routine like that? All he needed to do was a triple twist half pike and he'd have been through to the finals. My son got like that with me. So we had two disputes. We had two arguments over tactical decisions. This is the first one. And I I felt very smug about this one. Not so smug about the second one. When the tyres came out for Hamilton, I think on lap 20, and it looked like they were going to go for the undercut, I was like incensed. And I, I was going, no way. There's absolutely no way the undercut was the way to go. In fact, 
I think I called this before the race. I think I called this in the qualifying review as well. The only way Hamilton was going to beat a competitive Red Bull was not by undercutting, because that is a hairy tactic at best, and you only get one shot. If you go for the undercut and it fails, you're done. The overcut, I don't think, has been working this season as well as it did last season. The only real viable tactic was to go long and hope you had longer tyre life in the second stint. So when they pulled those um, the tyres out into the pits, I was yelling at the screen going, No, what are they doing? What do they think they're doing? And even though you're technically not allowed to bluff, that was absolutely, positively, 100%, come at me and sue me if you want. That was 100% a bluff by Mercedes. Uh, Jake, go on. How many times have they done that this year? Loads. The because, uh, th- yeah, I, like you said, I'm fairly sure they're not allowed to do it, but I have not. not seen Mercedes penalised for it once yeah. this year, and they have done it at least half a dozen times. You're definitely not allowed to unnecessarily put people out into the pit lane. It has to be that there was a reasonable chance you were going to pit them. And, and, and you could argue, couldn't you, Jake, you could argue that was the pit window. So you, you could argue that there was genuinely a chance they were going to pit, but they must have known that the undercut wasn't the way to go. So it was an obvious bluff. It, it is totally obvious. I actually quite like bluffing in the pits. I think it's a real human uh, challenge to see whether they're lying or not. And I, I quite like that, actually. But the fact is, you know, if you're not meant to do it, you're not meant to do it. So why aren't they getting penalised for it? it? It's understand. against the rules, Matt, and they've done it a few times now. Uh, plausible deniability is why they're not getting dinged for it, in my opinion. They have enough of a reason to put them out there, and then they call them back in. But it doesn't matter. The undercut was never going to work at lap 24 or lap 25. If Verstappen had extended his stint to the 30s, it might well have been the way to go for Mercedes. But the way the race played out, you Just to explain that, if, if Verstappen had ex- extended... Uh, more on his tyres and he was losing pace, then Hamilton's undercut would be f- more effective because he'd have new tyres and Verstappen would be going slower than he was on the, the dummy lap, which was lap 20. And this race, honestly, strategically, was so much fun to follow. And the pace of the, the action w- was actually a relief, to be honest, Matt, after the last three races. I think, especially after Germany and after Austria, you know, I just needed the old ticker to have a, a little bit of a rest and a slowdown and, and actually to show my son what F1 is normally like at its best when it comes to these tactics. Um, so, so Hamilton uh, didn't pit on lap 20. Uh, remind me then, how did the, uh, the pit stops roll out from there? Uh, so from there, um, you had Hamilton coming in, I believe it was lap 31. So Verstappen was in on lap 25, which and uh, Hamilton came in lap 31. So now he's in, he he'd clearly lost uh, after a lap or two. Verstappen was into his pit window. So he was clearly not going to come out in first place. And this was the point where many of the pundits, like if you were watching the Formula One TV and listening to the Sky commentary, this is where everyone thought Mercedes had got it all completely, totally wrong. Because they're like, oh, he's losing time now. He's going to be yeah, behind no, yeah. on a track where it's hard to pass. Yeah, it's hard to pass unless you've got a big tire delta. And, and honestly, I was, I, was re- I was annoyed. I was annoyed listening to the commentary. And, and maybe, maybe it's, um, what do you call it, the arrogance of the self-taught. Uh, but I, I think that a lot of pundits thought that because they didn't go for the undercut, they must then be going for the for the overcut. But yeah, as I said before, I, I felt like the only way to get past on a track like this is to have a huge tire delta. 
the only way to have a huge tyre delta is to go long. However, they might have been a little panicked by the fact that Verstappen was clawing back a second a lap uh, at that point. So they had to, they probably couldn't go as long as they wanted. I think it was six laps in the end, six laps extra. Then there was a four second pit stop. So that's a bit longer. Uh, and then they, he comes out something like 5.7 or six seconds behind, but with just devastating pace. I mean, Jake, I, I don't know if I blinked and missed it, but he was six seconds behind at one point, And then all of a sudden he was right on the gearbox. It was hilarious to watch from a certain extent because there was just one particular point. I think it was by about lap 63 when the tyres literally just plummeted. It was just literally in one lap. They just fell off the cliff completely. And I was saying that at that point, they've got to pit him. They've got to put him on softs because otherwise there is a genuine chance he could actually puncture it and he'll lose <laughs> everything. Oh, so you, and you've, it was, you've it was, skipped. It was, You've skipped a pit stop ahead, though, Jake. We're talking about I, the, the second stint. Yeah, but it was interesting because it happened twice in that sense. And it was kind of, well, why on earth didn't Red Bull see it coming then in the closing stages? They they committed to leaving him out there. And in all honesty, you know, they they knew in that first hmm. pit stop that it wasn't going to work. Surely they could have read the situation and seen it wasn't going to work. It was really odd to see Verstappen in a very tactical situation. We know him as a bit of an aggressive tiger. He wasn't able to show that really in the race. When he was defending Hamilton in the closing stages, he was like a sitting target. It was like they threw the anchor out the back of the car. He had nothing to cope with him. Yeah, they they really had no choice with their strategy. Yeah. They had Verstappen ahead track position on a race that of the three strategy options Pirelli presented before the race, the first two were one stoppers being quickest and two stopper being significantly slower. They were never going to give up position, especially after, I think, the first stint. I think they knew Mercedes had the better car and that their only hope was to be fast enough to keep the Delta small enough so that Hamilton couldn't get round. And up until that second pit stop, it was a just amazing, a masterful job of uh, not only defending from Verstappen, but also attacking by Hamilton. It was some of the most exciting driving I think we've seen in quite some time. I'm kind of hoping this is the going trend now, Hamilton versus Verstappen from race to race, because it is a great dynamic. And it's it's kind of the sorcerer and the apprentice in a way, isn't it? It's the young pretender trying to come in and steal Hamilton's crown. We know he's going to be champion eventually. I would so love to see Red Bull continue that development so that we actually get him to a point where yeah. he could steal the crown away from Hamilton while he's there, because that's what F1 really needs at the moment. Okay, so loads of argument at the moment about who's better, Verstappen or Hamilton. I think those arguments are a tiny bit reluctant. If there is a settling factor, can it be that they are both blinking well incredible? I think a settling factor could be, actually, we're asking the wrong question. Mm. Who's better, Toto Wolff or Christian Horner? And Exactly. So let's make this clear. What we saw today wasn't a one-to-one scrap with, with uh, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. It wasn't that. It was, it was kind of like uh, 
a, a five-man hockey team playing a three-man hockey team. And then temporarily, because of the pole position, Mercedes had two men taken away, but then they were allowed one man to come back on later on, representing race pace. Um, Nick will tell me if this is a good ice hockey analogy or not. I'm assuming I'm doing fantastically well here. Uh, but no, <laughs> that's not agreeing with me. This wasn't a straight, a, a straight scrap between between Max and and Hamilton this was Verstappen trying to defend a goal against Lewis Hamilton uh, he's just rolled the ball out Lewis Hamilton's got the whole pitch to try and score a goal and Verstappen did really really well to block it a few times to force Lewis Hamilton to move around to close the gap down uh, he, he did really fantastically but this is not a straight a straight scrap between uh, Verstappen and Hamilton and and Verstappen had a lot of chances to win this, and on a different day, he might well have done. And we're going to go through those scenarios after this. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We do like to stop every now and then on Miss Apex podcast just to have a, a little look at who's talking to you. Which voices are you hearing in your ear holes? Well, I do apologize that due to the international nature of this podcast, we do have to inflict an American on you. And in fact, some 38% of our listeners are all the way over there in America land. And Matt, you, you represent them all. Uh, everything you say is a fair representation of, of the entire United States. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And if those people want to follow you, which, by the way, you are a grossly underfollowed Twitter account, uh, at Matt P Matt PT55 on Twitter. Yep, good. At PT55 on Twitter. That's me. You got it. At Matt PT55. I think we both said it wrong, but I said it right at the end. And your wife is at A Weaver Writes, and she writes novels of a romantic nature that I think for your average uh, male Formula One fan, it would be handy for people to follow your wife on Twitter. Not in real life. That's weird. Buy her books, gift them to their other halves as a distraction in order to, to watch watch the race um you're 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 big into cycling that's where the map pt55 comes from uh, yeah that's correct because back in the day when i used to race uscf which is now usa cycling 
Category 3, Road and Track. I used to, in the time trials, run a 55-tooth chain ring. And so that's where the 55 comes from. Which I'm gleaning from context is either such a good chain ring that it gives you massive advantage or so bad that only you could cope with it. Oh, it was big. So you needed strength and thighs. There you go. Uh, and you'll be using that strength to cycle over from the United States to join us for karting at Buckmore Park on September the 21st. That 55 gearing, does that kind of make you the Graham Obrey of the United States of America? Um, it, to an extent, I'm sure other people, in fact, I'm sure at the pro level, people run chain rings that big. Uh, I found it to be a huge help on the downhills because you could actually uh, catch and maintain more speed where you spin out the 53, assuming you're running your standard 11, 24 cluster in the back. And the person asking that question is Jake Sanson. Uh, that microphone that you can see in the video is just for show. In fact, his his voice from Manchester is simply carrying to the shed without need for any electronic assistance. Uh, you are at Jake Sanson on Twitter. Apart from uh, being shyly uh, on the FIA feed, I can talk about it as much as I want, Jake. You did a really, really good job. It It, it seemed like... You were there forever. It seemed like you were supposed to be there. Uh, it wasn't jarring in any way. And I personally was willing you to fail because just because of, just because of jealousy, really. Jealousy, yeah. Because you're, you're my, you're my commentating buddy when we did, uh, the last Daytona D-Max championships. And so I'm like, well, I'm, I'm all right. I'm as good as that guy. Yeah. <laughs> he does all the calling out and saying what's happening, but I'm occasionally funny. You are occasionally funny. However, you still don't quite know where I live. No, or what's happening on a racetrack, which is no. apparently vital as a commentator. Tell me a little bit about what's happening with uh, Downforce Radio. You're always super ambitious with Downforce Radio. Yes, indeed. Uh, we're still pushing for uh, a 2020 uh, 24-7 radio streaming service. Uh, we've got some really cool clients coming on board, including the FIA Karting uh, Championships, which is where the sons of the following Formula One drivers race. Juan Pablo Montoya, Ricardo Patrese, Luca Badua, and Enzo Trulli. There's even a rumor going around that maybe Mika Hakkinen's boy will come and do it. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's great racing. We've just had the European Championships. The uh, World Championships are taking place in Finland uh, at the Mikasalo Circuit. Ooh, another Formula One name drop. Uh, and that's on the uh, second weekend of September. And that is going to be a massive, <laughs> massive event. Felipe Massa's coming and so are loads of other people. Uh, oh. So it's a massive event and that's going to be really, really cool. So oh, do please go. watch it. Uh, Sam Watley says, Jake is a phenomenal live commentator. I agree. Much better than he is on a podcast. I know. I know. Don't judge him by what he's like on a podcast. Honestly, he's a great commentator. Pete Jenkins says, Jake is the play-by-play and Spanners is the colour commentator i assume that means that i make it colorful Let, let's that hope. is yeah let's pretty hope, much yeah. i am sort of play by play and that tends to uh, make oh evangelist has said new pit board episodes please we have moved that uh, to monday nights so we uh, go. you're gonna get one tomorrow search for pit board okay you can follow uh, the show at Miss apex f1 or me at spanners ready so the ways in which max verstappen could have won this race today matt the the sky commentary team were 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 pretty adamant they they seem to agree that there was an element of luck and had the tussle that happened in stint two worked out differently i.e had hamilton actually overtaken verstappen then it would have been verstappen that had the free pit stop how i've got an opinion on that i want to hear yours yeah he'd have had the free pit stop but let's remember hamilton's tires were newer uh part of what made that Part of part of the reason why Mercedes pitted Hamilton 
was they realized it with a six lap offset that they didn't have maybe as much delta as they would have liked, and they understood that they could have had a they could have a much greater twenty plus lap delta. Um, and also, they knew the end of life of those tires because they pitted Botas the lap before Hamilton came in. Yeah, off of a yes. set of forty one lap old hard tires, and that uh, I cannot overstate what kind of an advantage that gave them in making this call. Okay, so the way I see it, I have some sympathy for that because Verstappen would have had that freeze pit stop. He would have come out on fresher tires and you have to think that he would have been running maybe a second, 1.2 seconds a lap faster. The instinct I have is that Mercedes would have allowed that to happen to an extent and obviously you try and last as long as you can. But maybe when he got within eight or nine seconds... You go, oh, well, okay, well, we've made this last, I don't know, uh, seven laps. So now we have a seven-lap tire advantage. We come in onto softs, not mediums, and I still fancy Mercedes to then close the gap and overtake. Well, the only real data we have to look at is Verstappen on the soft tire in the last three laps, where he set fast lap around a 117.1, which is a full second, second and a half faster than Hamilton's fast lap on the mediums. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, those maths are going to work out uh, whoever goes which way. But ultimately, uh, Mercedes had the advantage because they extended the first stint. I have a question. I noticed that at the end of the race, yet again, driver of the day was Max Verstappen. No. Why? I'm sorry. No, no, seriously. Why? On this occasion... I don't get it. Uh, do you know what? I just think this was a tough one to pick. I just think uh, Verstappen's fan base is more active, I think, when it comes to voting in general. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, honestly, when Verstappen wins, we can see the stats of where people listen and watch. And the big spike we get when Verstappen wins is from the Netherlands. Is from is from I mustn't say Holland. That's right, because Holland's only a small bit. So we get a lot more Dutch interaction when he wins. And... and all Dutch F1 fans are Verstappen fans, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but pretty much all of them. But Matt, we had two fantastic drives today. So I would have been happy whichever driver got voted driver of the day. Uh, so Carlos Sainz for keeping Gasly behind then? I completely agree with you. I actually thought Carlos Sainz was driver of the day. In fact, recently he has been my driver of the season because his move to McLaren has been spot on the money. He is turning into another Mika Hakkinen. He's molding that team around him. It's going to be a couple of seasons before they're back on the podium, but I think he and Lando are captaining them back to the front. This is a, a masterclass decision for Sainz to move to McLaren. It's paying off beautifully. Nah, si- Lando's going to smash him next season. Lando's going to absolutely smash Sainz next season. It's going to be close. I think it's going to be a bit nah, like a bet- rivalry between you know Alonso and Hamilton when they were together. I think they're going to be really close. I'll, I'll take that bet. I'll take that bet with anyone. And I know it's a long way off, but I think once Lando gets his feet under the table, he's going to wreck signs. You know, I have one more thing that I want to bring up. When I first got back into watching Formula One, I, I went and played golf with someone who turned out to be a Formula One fan. And they were a massive Kimi Raikkonen fan. And I said, well, why are you a Kimi Raikkonen fan? This would have been maybe 2010, 11. And he said, because Raikkonen came on the scene when I first started watching and he was very fresh and then he was world champion. So think about when did Lewis Hamilton come on the scene? 2007. And so where has his fan base come from that year? Yeah. So we see a lot of Verstappen interaction on Twitter and Instagram oh. and things that are modern. 
Good but a point. lot of Hamilton fans are more kind of my age now. I hate to say the word Facebook yeah. for many reasons, <laughs> but I can't argue with the demographics of things like Facebook. And I think that might be some of what you're seeing as well. So what you're saying is Verstappen is from the generation where the driver of the day vote is actually being usurped rather than Hamilton, who's part of the original YouTube generation. Oh, look, yeah. Verstappen did everything he could to, to win that race today. I think he was on magnificent form. What we did see, we did hear, is a, maybe a bit of a less cocky Verstappen today. I think that might be fair. A, a worried tone over the radio. Because the win was possible. But I, I really, honestly, he only had a 5 to 10% chance of, of holding off Lewis Hamilton. The, the difference in Hamilton's race pace over his qualifying pace and the difference of that Mercedes performance over the Red Bull meant that Red Bull were up against it. And I I don't begrudge Verstappen getting driver of the day because they gave it a real good go. They gambled, you know, they rolled the dice and that's what we want teams to do. It's what we want drivers to do. What I liked about the Hamilton-Verstappen battle was that I think that's the first time all year that Hamilton has genuinely had to dig deep, deliver and push like stink. He's not really had that challenge all through the season. He's had the best car on the best track and the best circumstances. Today, he had to find something special and he reminded us why he is the world champion. It's one of those things where everyone was like, do you think they're disappointed? I'm like, no, I don't think Verstappen's disappointed because Hamilton won it. Verstappen didn't lose it. Red Bull didn't lose it. Hamilton in that car. And I don't think maybe there's one other driver who might have been capable of that kind of drive. I don't think there's too many other people on the grid who could have won it, even in those circumstances. No, no. Uh, Hamilton was on fire. He was amazing. He says it was like half, uh, you know, half a century of qualifying laps. I, I believe him. I absolutely do. We saw an absolutely top-class drive from a top-class driver. And you can email me your hate mail, uh, spanners at gmail. Dot com. I lost my second battle to my son as we as we wrap up uh, this Verstappen um, Hamilton chat. It was it was a great battle. That's why we've lingered on it. Um, in fact, Matt, we haven't really talked about the the failed overtake, the failed overtake attempt. That was fantastic racing as well. Great defending by Max Verstappen. Uh, but when they decided to 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 pit uh, Lewis Hamilton for the second time, I called it as a bad call. And as I was cheering Lewis Hamilton overtaking Verstappen, my nine-year-old son, who said that it was a good call, cocky git, leaned over and went, you said it was a rubbish call to pit him. I went, yeah, all right, all right, calm down. <laughs> and then he said, and then with 15 laps to go, you said he didn't have the pace to catch Max Verstappen. Because I was looking at the seconds versus laps. It was 20 laps left with 20 seconds to catch up. And he was falling behind. And it just didn't look like the, the tyres were going to go off the cliff. But, but they did. Yeah, well, that's where your driver tracker can help out a lot because I could see a lot of these comments being made. But the fact of the matter is a lot of the toing and froing in the first couple of laps after he came out was entirely due to getting through the rest of the midfield. So there was all this lapped traffic that Verstappen was in and Hamilton wasn't in. And then Verstappen was clear and Hamilton had to navigate. So there were some laps where you were thinking it's not going to happen. But it wasn't until he got clear, until both of them were clear of that traffic, that you really got the idea of what was going to happen. Okay. And I I think just to kind of wrap this in a neat bow, if you look at, as as Brad pointed out as well in our our chat, uh, if you look at the way Verstappen's tyres went off the cliff 
before his second stop. You have to think Hamilton had had the measure of him be- just because his his tyres weren't doing that as well. Uh, they're asking in the chat room, why aren't we talking about Ferrari? Matt, you've put uh, quite cheekily here in the show notes. You, you've entitled the Ferrari section a league of their own and not in a good way. Yeah, I have. We do need to talk about Ferrari. This was never going to be a stellar race for them. But it was very interesting if you follow them at all. And that's because, unlike Vettel, Leclerc was forced to pit fairly early in sequence to replace his tires. He wasn't able to manage them. And then Vettel came on very late, put on some softs, made up the distance, and fairly easily passed him for a podium. So if you're a Sebastian Vettel fan, you've got to be fairly happy with that. He had a podium and a podium two weeks in a row. Yeah, you know I like to go on the Vettel bandwagon, but today he actually really dug deep and delivered. And for once, this wasn't Ferrari screwing Charles Leclerc over. This was Charles not being able to get the tyres up to temperature. Yeah, and I have read, um, and I've mentioned in the past, the Italian blog, F-U-N-O-A-T, which follows Ferrari. And there's someone on there who does analysis of all their button switching. And he mentioned early on that Leclerc gets lots of calls to adjust maps to preserve tyres. Whereas Vettel does 80 to 90% of that of his own volition as he's driving. And I think this is where we see the experience able to triumph over youth. He's developed an ability to manage these Pirelli tires. And Leclerc is still simply learning his way around it. And that's what we saw play out today. And he admitted as much. Post-race, he said, I need to understand it. I'm struggling on the tires. I have more degradation. So he's off to look at his um, school books, I think, over summer break. Okay, uh, Jake, you're the biggest vet or hater ever. Send your complaints to, to jake at mistapex.com uh, and that will go through to a fictional inbox. Uh, which which of those two drivers would you now pick? If you had to keep one of those two, Leclerc or Vettel, just for the rest of the season, who would you have? Uh, it's still Leclerc. It's still Leclerc because two races doesn't forgive 90 lost points over the course of the last 18 months. Uh, so Vettel is desperately trying to salvage his reputation and he's doing a fair job. You can't take away from what he did in Germany and what he did today, actually. Yeah. But long term, Leclerc is still the choice for me. OK, so, Matt, we've got a comment in the live chat. Alexander Reich says, wow. Podium is now a success for Ferrari. I mean, this is horrible. This is horrible for Ferrari. Uh, let's not take that away. Yeah, well, let's consider the lost uh, win in Bahrain due to reliability. And then I think it was Leclerc uh, driving into a wall last week. Um, it's not that they haven't had their chances. It's that their luck and their chance, uh, their chances and the luck have not matched correctly. Uh, yeah, we could list and- those. We could list those quick, briefly before you make that point. Austria, Bahrain, uh, Baku, Germany, and there's def- definitely one more. I think there's five races Ferrari had a chance to win. I was going to say, I think we're being a bit too harsh on Leclerc in general. Let's not forget. This is his second season in Formula One. He's been yeah. thrown in at Ferrari. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's up against a four-time world champion, and he's the second youngest Ferrari driver ever. He's done an amazing job considering all that. Yeah, he has. And Ferrari, for what they have, are not as far off as they... I think they have mended themselves, and I think they will have a competitive package at races. Certainly, I think Spa and Monza they will be much more in the hunt than they were today. This is probably one of the worst tracks 
this in Singapore will be very bad for them. But I also want to point out something that Summers and I discussed, which is that they designed this car, and then the tires that they got were designed for last year's car. And I think they were designed on last year's car. Pirelli didn't do any um, running on 2019 cars of the tires they developed last year. with la- So they add everything with last year's downforce. And I think that has caught them out. I think their concept doesn't work with the tires that Pirelli delivered specifically because of the nature of the window they have to drive to. And so, yeah, it, so a lot of what we're seeing is poor performance is simply they don't have a car that's ever going to be capable at that specific track. I'm glad you made the point about uh, Monza and Spa, because if they don't get victories there, then basically 2019 is a complete and total shambles in any way, shape and form. What's going to be interesting when we go to Spa, when we go to Monza, is which Ferrari driver is better placed to take the victory. That's going to make a massive difference to what happens in 2020. Uh, All right. Okay. So I said at the beginning of the season, I think after, actually after, uh, just before Monaco, I said Red Bull would win a race before Ferrari because I just I just couldn't see Ferrari. They were they were so bad at taking opportunities. It just felt like they were going to blow chance after chance, and then there would come a point where the development just went down. and 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 that did pan out. So I'm I'm claiming props for that. Uh, and I claimed about three races back as well that Ferrari would not win another race. I'll I'll stick by that, Jake, and I'll tell you why after your comment. Well, you're talking about early claims in the season. I think <laughs> my very early claim at the start of Missed Apex's 2019 season was that Charles Leclerc would be faster than Vettel by the time we got to Europe. Well, Bahrain, I, I, I feel vindicated, genuinely. And it's great to see, you know, we're both quite good at this whole prediction. I think Leclerc is faster, but I would still give Vettel the edge as the better overall championship package. Flaws and all. He's still he's still the better of the two, but the the reason I don't think that they might do as well in Monza or Spa as you think is because Mercedes can strip down to a special Monza wing, and uh, you know it's Red Bull particularly I think run just like a negative downforce and try and take off in Monza as well. And and Matt, tell me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't it not you that pointed out to me that that Red Bull basically when it turns the steering wheel, it, it's um it's basically one angle of attack on a straight and then when we saw him turn the steering wheel very slowly on a slow speed corner you could see the car kind of raise up at the back to give you more downforce in the turns um yeah that's the push rod on upright which all of the teams run and the you can go back and find a gif of and yes i say it that way please don't write me gif um you can find Mercedes doing the same thing in Monaco, which is where this sort of came back to light. Um, Red Bull, when I think it was a spin that Verstappen had in practice, and you yeah. could see him getting back on track, and you could just see the whole nose lower down to the ground. In fact, if you want to go listen to the tech time I did with Summers, we have quite a nice little section Ooh, about it, which I will it. spare you the repeating of word for word. Thanks. I listened to the whole of tech time. How dare you? I, I, I genuinely listened to five minutes of it. I did. And, and in two areas as well. So anyway, yeah, do tune in to Tech Time with Matthew Summerfield, who is a tech editor over at motorsport.com. It's kind of a, it's kind of a big deal. So I just feel like we're assuming that because Ferrari have got a low drag, high power setup, that the other teams aren't capable of doing it as well. So maybe a bit of a stretch for Red Bull, but I think Mercedes will be just as, as, uh, as competitive for Spa, certainly. 
Monza might be Ferrari's one and only chance. Well, I'm I'm going to remain a little more on the fence about it, just because Mercedes can't change its chassis design, and that's part of where the drag comes from, how they manage the air around the car. Ferrari fundamentally has a lowered um, drag, lower downforce chassis, so they may still retain that straight line advantage. The question is, can they make enough in those long straights and high-speed corners to make up for what they will lose in the low-speed corners. And that's going to be the fun thing to see answered. Well, what, what, what Matt's missing there, Jake, is that Hamilton is just uh, the master on the brakes, certainly out of the four drivers at Mercedes and Ferrari. Absolutely right. Um, I was actually going to allude to a bold prediction uh, for Belgium, because I like bold predictions. McLaren for a podium. Now, don't... Th- don't do at him down the do at him no 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 no. the reason for that is because i think we still have this bit of a headache with bottas i think he's going to continue to self-implode he will get into an incident or two potentially with verstappen gasly's going to be off pace there's going to be opportunities at spa there always is when things tighten up in lake home i think mclaren genuinely have a chance to get on the podium it's one of those racetracks where odd results come through this might be their chance all right. Well, uh, I mean, that's uh, that's crazy talk, but thanks for contributing. Uh, so just to wrap up, Ferrari in a neat little bow. This was never going to be a strong race for them. This has this track has exacerbated all their problems, uh, but they were they were not lapped, but they were a, a minute behind. Third and fourth place shouldn't feel like a victory. We shouldn't damn them with faint praise that they were championship favourites pre-season in a lot of people's eyes. Not mine. Uh, right, uh, Matt. Let's read the tea leaves at Mercedes. Let's spend a little bit of time on the number two drivers on uh, the top two teams today. How awful is it for Bottas seeing Hamilton just put in that masterful drive, get past, in fact, have two attempts and fail at the first attempt and then keep biting back at arguably the brightest young talent in Formula One and eventually triumph have his team pull off a, a strategic masterstroke and he's there struggling to get past the Toro Rosso's battling with Norris it's just it's just awful he was he was shown up wheel to wheel at the beginning of the race he he couldn't do what Hamilton did he locked up he choked twice on the brakes and I'm sure breaking a Formula One car is very hard and I couldn't do it but in context of the rest of the field it it looked like he was just dropping the ball and overdriving on two occasions in those first few exchanges I just don't see how it can get any worse for Valtteri Bottas as far as his Mercedes career goes right now um he could have taken Hamilton out yeah, that could have been that. worse. I mean, and I mean, he didn't do that. He, if that was 2010 or 2011 Hamilton, they're both off into the barriers of turn one. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, that's entirely possible. But he knew coming into the summer break that the decision on his future was going to be made during summer break. Wolf either absolutely or as much as implied that these two races were going to be critical in deciding which direction they want to go. And this obviously ignores what we've learned uh, from our show with Mr. Carter. And he shows up to Hockenheim and does what he does. And then he shows up here and beats Lewis in qualifying. And within half a lap has essentially thrown his race away. And I do feel I cannot imagine the kind of pressure 
that and, and and I know I've heard stories from musicians I've studied with played for the great orchestras of the world. Like I know I understand what that can do to somebody to be told, yeah, next mistake, you're out. It's a horrible yeah. thing. And it was but, so public. It was so public. But mm. that's the world he lives in, you know, and you have to be able to have the mental game to go with it. And I think, look, if he finished within 10 seconds at Hamilton, we'd be having an entirely dis- different discussion. But he's not been able to get on top of his race pace. And this is really what the decision is about. I have a feeling that as we are talking about this right now, he already knows. Yep. And I don't think it's the answer he wants. Uh, do you think the fact that he wasn't in the team photo might might be a foreshadowing? He- uh, it's eerie, but I don't think it's a foreshadowing. Well, it tells you that he was doing something else, doesn't it, Matt? And why do we think he might have been doing? <laughs> having a word with uh, the Mercedes hierarchy, perhaps, Jake? I think he was having a word with Claire Williams. Is that the next move for Valtteri Bottas? Just go and, go and have a chill out at Williams with George Russell. Where else can he go? He wouldn't go to Renault because Ricardo's locked in there, as Hulkenberg is potentially going to be there too. Ferrari will not want him because obviously the last two races he's proved he's damaged goods. Red Bull, similar story. Mm. Where else does he go? Uh, Matt, we're talking as if he's definitely gone, but looking at the Toto Wolf interview on Sky after the race, it was incredibly telling because he basically detailed, we said we would make the decision in the summer and it must be very hard for him because since then in the races, he's blown it. Like he literally said, he's blown it. He set out the criteria by which they were making the decision, the timescale in which they were making the decision, and then explicitly said that he had made mistakes in those races in that time. So he's gone. He's got to be gone. Yeah. I mean, and Toto was being very nice, but the language that he used, the way he used it, very much implied that it was no longer a, Ocon has to prove he's got something to bring to the table. And it was more a, well, if we look at his experience and what he does with the team, is it worth taking a risk on somebody younger? And and it sounds like it's totally on Botas to defend having that seat. And the it, it just it's not quite enough for a team that has what Mercedes has. The chat room is saying that Bottas would be amazing at Haas alongside Magnussen. I actually quite agree with that. That might potentially be a bit of a saving grace, but I just don't see it happening. It would be amazing, but I don't see it happening. Well, let's let's defend Bottas because I I still think he's an amazing driver. He's, he's, Why defend him? Right, okay. He's come into Lewis Hamilton's team. This is not the Mercedes that was giving completely equal treatment to to Rosberg and Bottas, uh, Rosberg and Hamilton. This is not the McLaren team with Jensen Button, where Jensen was able to go in and get the car built to, the way he wanted it to be built. This is Lewis Hamilton's team. It's developed to suit Lewis Hamilton. And if they've got even slightly different driving styles, Bottas is gonna he's gonna miss out a little. Bottas has had his moment, his chance to show what he can do. He was brought in because Rosberg dropped Mercedes in it. That's the only yeah. reason he was brought in. Mercedes literally had no safer candidate to bring in at that point. He was the only choice. It was like a Scottish restaurant menu. You know, there's nothing yeah. on it you want and, you know, you just got to go for it. Okay, but So, 
Yeah, Matt, what choice if, did they have? Matt, if they're going to build an oversteery car and an understeery car, and Hamilton wants one and Bottas wants the other, they're going to make the one Hamilton wants, and that's that, and and that, and that's true of suspension, steering, gearing, ride heights, downforce philosophy. Lewis Hamilton wants ultimate downforce. He's always calling it whatever we do we want more downforce. The kind of you know Red Bull, Red Bull kind of philosophy when they were winning all those championships. So from that point of view, let's not pretend that Valtteri Bottas has had exactly the same roll of the dice. I think he would have lost in any case. Yeah, but let's also be very clear that what this comes down to, as Ferrari and Red Bull show up as competitors and start to push Mercedes, it's down to how many points is Bottas bleeding for them. Every time Lewis finishes first and Bottas finishes fifth. They're bleeding points. Every time Lewis has a problem and Botas doesn't take first position, they're bleeding points. It hasn't been an issue because the car has been dominant, but they can see the writing on the wall. Next season will be the toughest season Mercedes will face as a constructor since they've entered the hybrid era and they don't think they can afford to bleed points anymore at that level. This is the same argument as I've been saying for ages about Ferrari. You know, Vettel has been bleeding points in exactly the same way. This is why these next two or three races are critical for him, because he needs to prove to Ferrari he's not Valtteri Bottas. And, and let me defend Mercedes as well, because I would have made the same decision. If I, if I had Hamilton and Bottas, I think very quickly you'd have gone, mm, kind of need to put our, our eggs in the Hamilton basket. Uh, but yeah, that gap's a little too big. Not as big as the driver gap uh, at Red Bull. And, and like we said at the beginning of the show, if people say Formula One is all about the cars, you go, well, it is a bit about the cars because, because it's not a spec series. And, and we can point you at some fantastic spec series or closer spec series. Formula One isn't that. It's not about that. But it is about tracking drivers over the course of their careers and it's about tracking eras and seasons and the best drivers end up in the the best cars. And if you're Bottas and you get your shots at the best team and you you are then up against one of the best drivers in the world, ever, possibly, and that's why it's harder. Gasly has found himself... Up against, uh, up against Verstappen, perhaps one of the the brightest up and coming stars. Jake Gasly's last opponent was Hartley, and and now the gap is looking massive. It's looking like a huge, huge gulf. I want to be sympathetic to Gasly in his current plight because what you've got to remember is the reason he has that seat is because Daniel Ricciardo dropped Red Bull in it. They were half expecting him to be there this year again with Verstappen. They could be constructors' champions potentially. If both of those drivers were still in that car, they could have taken a lot of points out of Ferrari and Mercedes. But Ricardo dropped them in it. He wanted to pay them back for investing in Verstappen. So he left, dropped them in it. They had no alternative again but to go for Pierre Gasly. He was the only one who you could argue was potentially ready. I mean, you could have been a little bit kinder to Kvyat and said, well, let's bring him back in. But they went with Gasly. And you know, he's done, again, the best he can do, but it isn't good enough. Uh, okay, Matt, just want to head off some YouTube comments here. I- I'm not saying the cars don't make a difference. They make a huge difference. But the drivers also make a massive difference. Look up and down this grid and tell me the drivers don't make a difference. Uh, anyway, Matt. I was going to say, so, Jake, you're essentially saying it was an emergency decision, kind of like when Rosberg unexpectedly left Mercedes. Absolutely. I yeah. think it's exactly the same. Uh, style of move and you know it, it's fascinating because we're basically putting pressure on Gasly to deliver but Gasly was given a call up in my opinion a season too early so the fact that he's dealt with it in the way that he has Silverstone proved to me 
that he can get to that point. The problem is, I don't think Red Bull, being as cutthroat as they are, are going to give him the time frame oh, okay. to prove that. Wait, wait now, wait now. Now, wait now. Sorry, Matt. Sorry. Missed Apex as an organization. It's not me as an individual speaking. Who am I? I'm just a guy in a shed, guys. I'm literally in a shed. Don't believe the lies of this fancy studio. But Missed Apex, the, the organization above us, the umbrella corporation above us, understands that... Pierre Gasly will be with Red Bull for the remainder of the season and he won't be let go over the summer break, Jake. And this is being attributed specifically down to a lack of faith in A, Kvyat and B, the readiness of um, of Alex Albon. Albon. Yeah, sorry, let's go to you, Matt, first. Well, I'm going to ask this entirely speculative and important question. If Mercedes do let Botas go and you're Red Bull, would you take him? Good question, because one of the things that makes Bottas marketable, if there is anything particularly marketable about him, is that he carries with him the chemistry that's all happy and lovey-dovey at Mercedes. So you take him away from that, that basically gives Mercedes a problem in that they've got to put Ocon in the car and he could get under Hamilton's skin and that could mess things up internally. The other thing is that he takes away Hamilton's secrets, in essence. You know, they can find weaknesses, chinks in the armour. That's another reason to have him. <laughs> if Whether Bottas, he's good on, enough, if, if Bottas could have done that, surely he'd have done that in the last in the last two and a half seasons. Uh, well, no, because he's still contracted to Mercedes. I don't think he had any reason to leave. Now he's got a reason to leave because he can't beat Hamilton in the same equipment. There's evidence that Red Bull can beat Hamilton in the same equipment with Vettel. Uh, sorry, sorry, with uh, Verstappen. If he goes alongside Verstappen you might have an opportunity to have a bit of a Red Bull super team, whether he would go, maybe he could join Raikkonen and, at Alfa Romeo and have a Finnish super team or something like that. Cause the car is clearly capable of running towards the front end, but with Bottas uh, with Red Bull, maybe, I don't know. Is that your hunch, Matt? Uh, what's for sure is the driver junior Red Bull program isn't, isn't quite clicking right now. And there's a lot of people fielding Ricciardo back to Red Bull, rumors Vettel back to Red Bull rumors it looks like an experienced hire is going to be the the way forward possibly unless Albon or Kvyat has an absolute blinder in the second half of the season yeah even if they do uh, Albon as you said I think having stuck Gasly in there with one year's experience they're going to be loath to repeat that experiment and Kvyat's been there and done that and if he was appropriate for that then then they would already be doing that or they will do that maybe when award finally has enough um super license points to ride for a toro rosso what about vettel alongside verstappen at red bull oh no i don't <laughs> no 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 the, the only and look there's some there's some regular chat room people in there and i don't want to upset them too much but vettel's only going to red bull if if verstappen leaves and goes somewhere else because vettel's not going to pick a fight with Max Verstappen. He's either going to stay as the Ferrari king and then all the fault of him, them not winning the championship is down to the Ferrari car and not him. Or he's got one big paycheck left at a Alonso-style Hail Mary to a team like McLaren or Renault or Haas. But the only team that could afford that Vettel paycheck right now is Red Bull. Racing and point. It, well, no, they wouldn't. No, I, I can't see that. Well, Sebastian Vettel's got more pride than to join Racing Point than anything else, to be honest. I think that's 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 a death of a career. Ra- Racing Point are going to sign Nicholas Latifi next year. That is already a done deal, as far as I can see. You know, Canadian rich, wealthy father gives son drive. Team 
teams up with other rich, wealthy Canadian who has a son. That's already a done deal, in my opinion. Okay, let's go on to Formula B. And Formula B has a new recruit because we are putting Gasly in Formula B now, Matt. And I think this is legitimate. This is not guaranteed anymore that Gasly is going to win Formula B. In fact, he didn't win Formula B today. I don't think he qualified highest. Did he out of Formula B or just? I think the McLarens were 7th and 8th, weren't they? And Gasly was 6th on the grid. However... On race trim, his ability to keep it pointing in the right way and his ability to start well and fight wheel to wheel. I'm genuinely putting Gasly in Formula B. So if, if Hulkenberg and, uh, and the McLarens uh, et al. want to win Formula B, in my mind, they now also have to beat Gasly. I think that's reasonable. Um, it will vary from track to track. But certainly on, on race days, he's much more Formula B than he is uh, Formula 1. Out of the other... Out of the other teams, I know you want to talk a little bit about the difference between the Huzzes. So Grosjean surprising a little bit, uh, doing better this weekend. Yeah, well, I, I've had this hunch that their Australia spec is not quite as fast as their latest development. And I, that has generally been borne out. There's usually a tenth or two uh, between them. And Magnussen usually outqualifies Grosjean. But I think the Australia spec has a little wider window for making the tires work so that over the course of a lot of races, you should see Grosjean doing slightly better. And that was really kind of what was happening today until he had a, a issue with his uh, water pump that caused him to retire. Um, and for Magnuson, he had an issue on the very first lap. He lost two or three places, and then that was sort of the end for him. He, he, he did a good drive up to P13, I think, but the points were off the table the moment that first lap happened. And, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, Roman Grosjean for the last three races has been the shortest odds by some way of any other driver if you wanted to have a bet on the first driver to retire. I've never seen a driver that short odds. Please gamble responsibly. That's staggering. But I will say I believe we owe Magnuson a great debt of gratitude for all of his many defensive battles throughout the field today. They were pretty awesome. He's always fierce in defense, uh, is Magnuson. Although we have we have run out of time. Uh, we gave a lot of time today over to the, the Verstappen-Hamilton battle. It was a fascinating strategic battle, and it was two drivers attacking and defending wheel to wheel. There was there was great phases of watching Hamilton having to recover his brake wear, uh, worry about temperatures, then go and have another go. The first time he had a go, he furried and worried Verstappen, forcing him to use up some of his tyres. The second time he had a go, they were wheel to wheel into turn one, turn two, turn three. And Hamilton even had the uh, audacity to have an attempt around the outside of turn four, hit the marbles, went wide, was probably lucky not to have damage, and then came back on track. But what a move and what uh, a defense as well. So I don't feel bad that we spent time on that. Now, Matt, we are not deliberately saving content for our Patreon podcast. However, last week we did a two-hour show, which I hated because it means sweltering in here for two hours and then the edit's longer as well. And then we ruined the patron-only podcast by actually talking about F1 for an hour. Yeah, I know. Although Stuart Neal in the chat room feels that you should simply 
have to our podcast regularly. Oh, all right. I don't know. We might have to come to some kind of some kind of deal. Uh, if you, maybe if we get enough support at patreon.com forward slash missed apex, you can click that and support the show, or you can go to any of our site posts uh, and you can go to patreon.com forward slash missed apex, support the show, and we will give you an ad free feed. Uh, we do run ads on this podcast and uh, we do make an effort to make sure that they are relevant. So they are uh, specific to your location. Wherever you download it, you get a different ad and we curate it so that it's, it's nothing too horrible and nasty if you don't like an ad that we run do please let me know but you can have an ad free feed if you're a patron you get a special private link that you add to your podcast player and that removes the adverts you also get special patron content where me and matt will never withhold content we always do our race review but we do have a little mop up on a monday where we talk through some issues and a lot of the time we don't actually talk about f1 at all so it's a it's a way to kind of hang out with me and matt in a in a less formal way if you like uh what else do we do we also have a lovely slack group which frankly is the best place to hang out and chat f1 during a race so that's patreon.com forward slash missed apex let's go to the podium you look like you were losing it a bit there matt is it the chat room distracting you again yeah they're now saying they will pay for three hour reviews if we would do them Okay, well, well, we'll have to set some kind of threshold and, and target. And uh, obviously, we then have to run that past the boss, aka Mrs. Spanners as well. Uh, the podium, this is where we give out awards. I think, Jake, I'll, I'll steal your thunder a little bit, because I know that you're going to give the thing of the weekend probably to F1 as a whole, the, the much maligned f1 uh you were saying this was a just a generally it's a good weekend for f1 and i think i've bored people by uh by disputing the f1 is dead stuff uh well if we're going for my thing of the weekend i was going to go in a completely different direction to that and say that my thing of the weekend is george russell because he beat lance stroll in a racing point which is apparently a second and a half per lap quicker which proves that A, the Williams upgrade is working, B, George Russell's amazing, and as soon as Hamilton retires from Formula One, he's got his seat. It's locked in for 2022. That's happening. You specifically messaged me and said your thing of the weekend was going to be F1. Don't make me scroll my WhatsApp. Uh, I will scroll it back and say it's Russell, Russell, Russell. (laughs) Okay, it was a great weekend for Formula One. Again, four great races on the bounce, even the Hungaroring. Uh, which is normally set up to be a much more quiet weekend, was fantastically exciting. And we've got two absolutely storming weekends coming up after the summer break. Spa and Monza, two of my absolute favourites. One thing I will say on your point about F1 being amazing is that it's nice to know that we haven't had a dull race all summer. There was so much abuse and criticism towards Formula One at the beginning of the year. Oh, it's all boring. Oh, it's not going to be interesting. The results in the last four races have been intriguing in three of those well two of those races you could say fairly predictable but that doesn't take into context the fact that the last four races have actually been really really watchable the number one team the number two team sorry in the first few races was ferrari and they dropped the ball the number two team is now red bull honda and red bull honda are absolutely bringing it thank the f1 gods uh, for red bull honda at the moment long may their charge continue you said williams like I said, I had vowed to not talk about Williams. I think we're back. Is there anything, was there anything mitigating about the people that, that Russell beat? Did Stroll step on dynamite or something? Or that wasn't surely, that wasn't purely on race pace. Yes, it was. 
Stroll is Stroll is Stroll is Stroll is Stroll. He's always going to be that guy at the back of the field struggling to get out of Q1. He's never going to respond from that. He's never going to improve. Williams have been a second and a half behind them for most of the season. The fact that he's now ahead isn't a fluke. They've been working very hard in that car to make it faster. Russell has been stepping up his A game. I think he's got the confidence of knowing that that Mercedes seat of Lewis Hamilton's is already his, essentially, for the taking. He can just sit there at Williams. He's already been confirmed by Claire Williams. He's there till the end of 2021. There's a reason for that. He's not joining Mercedes until 2022, but it's a done deal. Matt Two Rumpets at MattPT55 on Twitter. You can follow Matt Trumpets on Facebook and Instagram if you want, but it is just pictures of of trumpets i mean if that's your kink i ain't gonna judge you so you follow matt trumpets wherever he is on social media matt what's your thing of the weekend this took a lot of thought because there were many 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 things potentially of the weekend but if i think about it are you just buying yourself time is this a stall it has to be okay no, I'm, it's not a stall. Why, would you, why would you accuse me of that when I was almost to the point I was previously going to make, and now I'm going to have to start all over again? So I just helped you out even more. Tell me, tell me, you crazy old fool. What's no. your thing of the weekend? It has to be the strategy call made by James Vowles to pit Lewis on lap 46. And I'll tell you why. I have evidence for this. Number one, Lewis was specifically told before the race that there was no way it was going to be anything other than a one-stopper. So he's completely baffled. And number two, it led to the single best radio exchange of the entire race, where you have, on the one hand, Lewis yelling about being pitted and demanding and thinking it's completely the wrong strategy, while at the same time you have Verstappen yelling at his engineer, demanding to be pitted and have Lewis's strategy instead. And I just thought that was genius. Absolutely. I'm going to give my thing of the weekend to both Toro Rosso drivers. In fact, just to Toro Rosso racing in general. A really, really cool, a really, really cool battle between uh, Albon and Kvyat. And this is the the fantastic thing about the Hungary track, the Hungara ring. That turn one is is wide enough that you can pick different lines through it. Even if you feel the driver behind or in front has got the better of you, you can come back at them in turn two turn three and if you're an absolute lunatic turn four but here's how it went down so Albon's trying to overtake uh, no no I think Kvyat was trying to overtake Albon uh, so Kvyat was quite generous and left him racing room on the outside which is quite surprising oh he's been quite generous there because he's his, his teammate when, when you given when you um, take into account the fact that drivers are now getting away with just driving all the way to the edge when they've got the inside line and pushing them off so Kvyat's quite kind of generous and 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 lets Albon go when we we get to turn two Albon then fully shoves Kvyat off (laughs) and fully goes all the way to the edge and just goes nah then when we get to turn three I might have these two drivers the wrong way around uh but then when we get to turn three I think it's Kvyat kind of goes ah that's the game you're playing is it again all the way to the outside and then that leaves Albon to try and have a go around the outside of turn four but fantastic racing from both of them they really pushed the limit there Jake that is the kind of racing we want to see but I feel like it would have been better if there was a rule that you had to let the driver on the outside keep a wheel on the track. I think it, the racing would have been even better. I think it's fine as it is. You know, the guys did a brilliant job and they proved to the Haas drivers how to race wheel to wheel without actually hitting each other. <laughs> yeah. 
Do you reckon they're going to show that in the next team brief at Haas? They're going to go, right, let's let's talk about some wheel-to-wheel action. And they're expecting the Haas pictures to come up. And they show Toro Rosso going through turns one, two, three, and four of the Hungara ring. Yeah. To I be know. fair, you could even show the first two or three corners between the Mercedes drivers, Bottas and Hamilton, and it would still be better than what Grosjean and Magnussen have done right. recently. Or they'll go, look, if you're going to make contact, see how they made contact and they didn't have to retire the cars. I mean, even that would be good, guys. We'd even settle for that at this point. Matt, you jumping in or should we go to... I, I was just, it was making me think of the Albon-Perez contact where Albon oh, yeah, was talking on. about it after the race. He's like, it was like one of those, it was just a little clatter, but like when you came out of it and you were like, oh, thank goodness my steering isn't bent. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a hit and hope, but um, it looked like Perez shut the door quite aggressively. So more aggressively than Albon might have expected, and that probably contributed to to the contact as well. Um, oh, no, what am I talking about? It's Perez. Yeah, it's definitely Albon's fault. What a wrecking ball. Terrible. Uh, let's go to the Missed Apex Award. No, you missed the apex. So apart from, obviously, to Albon for clattering into the innocent Perez, uh, who else would you give the missed apex award? That's the bad thing, Jake. I'm sorry we can't be all positivity and sunshine. Who gets your negative award? Uh, It's got to be Bottas, hasn't it? I would love to be more predictable, but no, Bottas. Bottas gets your missed apex award. Well covered on the show already. Matt, who gets your bad thing of the weekend, the missed apex award? This one is, is a bit of a challenge because so many people drove so very, very well. Um, you know, I, I'm going to have to go with Renault. Sorry. Just but in general. It's just like, yeah. like, like Hulkenberg had problems and just Cardo's strategy got wank and just, oh. you, you saw the press conference, Jake, did you, when? It's embarrassing when you consider that Renault are spending the money they're spending and their cars are coming home 13th and 15th and McLaren the embarrassment of Formula One for the last couple of seasons have got two drivers that can run in the top eight and they're fourth in the Constructors' Championship. You've got a very good point. Renault were embarrassing today. So the qualifying uh, press conference, I think somebody, if those of you didn't catch it, asked Verstappen if if they thought it was true that Renault had a thousand brake horsepower and his response was, if they do, then they must have a really rubbish car, which is... um, I mean, completely fair. Uh, so, Matt, who uh, you've given your missed Apex Award to Renault. I'd be tempted to give it to Kubica, but apparently he had an issue. Is that right? Did Kubica have an issue in the race today? First lap contact, front wing. Yeah. Okay. Well, in that case, it's got to go to Lance Stroll. Yeah, yeah. I'm a hater, whatever. But the fact of the matter is, I know he got impeded by Giovinazzi in his second run, but he looked like he was still some way off of Perez, and, and Perez had a car to go into q uh, Q2, whereas Perez was never getting out of Q1. Oh, sorry, Stroll, ar- Stroll was never getting out of Q1. You could argue it's Stroll and Giovinazzi equally because both of them are embarrassments compared to their teammates at the moment. Wow, I mean, you don't mince your words, do you? Like, nope. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Now, why has Giovinazzi's underperformance kind of flown under the radar? Because I is making Kimi Raikkonen look like he's suddenly resurgent I still suspect, as good as Kimi Raikkonen is and as, as amazing a career he's had, that if you put George Russell, Carlos Sainz, uh, Alex Albon, any of those drivers into the Alpha, that they would get the better of Kimi Raikkonen. I think it's largely because Antonio Giovinazzi is the cheese sandwich of the buffet table. It's the one thing you're going to leave, ignore and completely disregard. 
at the chat room saying, Sanson doesn't appear to own any sugar. Nope, sugar coats absolutely nothing. Does anyone does anyone have a pony award? Do we have any lined up? Oh, we do. Okay, let's play the bumper then. Benny, I want a pony. And I want it now. Go on then, Jake. Who gets your pony award? Uh, my pony award for the weekend goes to Sebastian Vettel for what deciding. No, no, no. <laughs> it's not for what you think. It's for claiming that the trophies are really super boring when he should be grateful he's getting any at the moment. They look like beautiful, like Ming vases. They look so delicate. I, I just find it quite funny that he's got something to complain about that's to do with a podium. And I think it's more because he's missing it. Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, you go, podium's pretty good. On the other hand, for time world champion at ferrari don't, don't be celebrating the the podium it's a it's a loss it's a loss isn't it matt have you got a have you got a pony award yeah i do and i feel bad because it's not really his fault but nico hulkenberg every radio message played to him he just sounded grimmer and sadder you want me to go faster but i have to manage fuel but i have a power problem but i and it, it, it's not his fault because it was entirely Renault giving him the bad car but just in terms, just on the tone of his voice, I think he kind of gets a pony for that. I think, can we get an um, an anti-pony? Hmm. What's the opposite of a pony award? Uh, a, a unicorn. A calm koala bear award for Lewis Hamilton's race engineer, who, apart from the infamous out, 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 in, 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 uh, is just unflappable. And like, he's he's constantly just getting yelled at by Hamilton, like, dude, that was completely wrong. What were we doing? The tyres are failing. What am I meant to do, man? Which I don't mind. I don't mind that at all. But Bono's radio message is back. Yeah, so we just got to do this, that and the other. And I'll tell you what I, I would have done if I was him is I would have said to him, it doesn't matter how worn your tyres are, Verstappen's are worse. I think that's the one call that they might have missed today. Can we call it the Xanax award? <laughs> just like the super chill yeah uh yeah yeah uh, lewis we're gonna need uh 10 cc's of uh, hypocalm and then uh, just get your head down and uh, and secure the win uh but yeah fantastic performance by the mercedes pit wall overall big props to them trying to chill lewis hamilton out it might have been hummus time hummus time like it um isn't is hummus no that's not spicy is it that's beans or something or totally totally bland yeah some kind of vegetable i i wouldn't know my family's been away for a week it's been some time since i've consumed plant matter of any kind thank you very much to for tuning into our missed apex review of the hungarian grand prix uh, please follow matt at matt pt 55 jake sanson at jake sanson or tune into downforce radio he has a less good podcast than this but it's also about motorsport it's called Pitboard. so find that on your podcast player um, matt and i we cover the w series we cover formula e and we do a Patreon podcast on a Monday for those of you kind enough to support us at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Uh, also search for Apex TV. We've been doing some TV reviews of late and we have a super exciting lineup this week. Joe is popping in to the shed, I think, on Tuesday afternoon. And then Tuesday daytime, we're also going to be having a special guest from the F1 paddock. Can I point out that there's one little thing you haven't quite done yet? Are you suggesting that I, Spanners Ready, available at Spanners Ready on Twitter or emailable, uh, SpannersReady at gmail.com, the host of the show, Missed Apex, which is findable at Missed Apex F1 or on Facebook by searching for Missed Apex Podcast, are you suggesting I would, I would miss out a segment of the show? 
Perhaps a tad. Damn it. Genuinely forgot. I've been doing so well. All right. So just so you know, just for context, right, this is uh, this is my lad, Treeface. Oh, no. You missed the apex. Uh, this is my, my little Vivi. And just to get the whole family in, Mrs. Spanners uh, brings you... Comment of the week. All right. Matt, give me your 84 candidates for comment of the week. Well, I narrowed it down from six to five, but fine. I'll give you six. Plus a shout out to Jelly Jansen, who donated money today in the chat. Thank you very much. We always love it when you do that. Thanks, dude. But make it five. Okay, fine. Um, first one comes to us from Slack. Because Big Ray could not be in the chat room today. Joint Pony Award to Verstappen and Hamilton. Daddy, I want their strategy and I want it now. Yeah, they both weren't happy. But to be fair, I was screaming at the telly as well at every point that Mercedes have got everything wrong. Shut up, Spanners. Mercedes got this. Leave them alone. They know what they're doing. Next, we have Michael Distelhoff with Botas. He's like Gasly 3.0 at the moment. <laughs> so 3.0 being bad instead of the good 2.0. Got it. I get that reference. Uh, Count Blah is concerned about Nick, thinks he's off wandering the desert, much like Ferrari is on a prancing horse with no name. Nick Alexander, our token Ferrari fan. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. He may have died. We haven't heard from him for some time uh, since Ferrari's uh, recent bad run of form has continued. Uh, and then finally, we have a couple of Renault's to go. We have Tiago Guao Silva, a thousand horsepower at twelve thousand RPM, five hundred horsepower at eleven thousand RPM. That's Renault. Okay, I assume that's hilarious, and I'm going to laugh just so it sounds like I understand the technicalities of that joke. Okay, so just edit this in later. Okay, guys. <laughs> Good one. I understand that. And then our friend Michael Distelhoff in with a second one. Renault has a thousand horsepower engine. It's in France in a different car. Okay, who's the winner of this week's comment of the week? Oh, you're not making it easy, but I think it's going to have to be Michael Dieselhoff for Renault has a thousand horsepower engine. It's in France in a different car. Comment of the week. Thank you very much. Tune in to Missed Apex Podcast this week. This would be a terrible week to not subscribe to us on your podcast player of choice. And it would be a terrible week as well to not even consider supporting us on Patreon. Until next time, be brave because wounds heal, chicks dig scars. But glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Oh, no, Matt, no. I'm not doing another two-hour race review. I'm not having it. The brief was an hour and we'll stick... Oh, look, an hour and 40. God damn it. Damn it, Trumpets, this is your fault. It's not my fault Formula One is broken and boring and we have nothing to talk about. It was that one bit where you stalled for an answer for your thing of the week. Until then, we were going to hit an hour. And then your comment of the week with, like, 18 different candidates. That's the reason we've run this long. Yeah, and, and not at all your insistence that we talk about the start battle for the first 45 minutes of the show. Okay. <laughs> all right. Fine. Fine. This shed is so hot. My skin is peeling off. I was just going to make a comment about Nick Alexander not being here, and I think it's because it is still possible to die of shame. I, I just think he doesn't like F1 anymore. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.